we're doing, just so you'll know. So we're gonna sh they're going to come up and share one at a time for 10 minutes. If you think, oh, my gosh, you're going to go on forever and ever, they will see this at nine minutes. So, and then we get, then Bob gets up and gets the hook, and he gets them after that. So we're going to go till probably like 7.15 ought to put us at 40 minutes, and then we'll have questions answered. So they'll stay there, and you'll just ask the question, and they'll give you a hot answer. Are you ready for that? Okay, so, Miss Alexis, are you on? Okay, go. I on? Yeah. Yeah, I can hear myself. Okay. Hello. Well, um, <laughs> uh, okay, so... Alexis, that is my name. Um, so I come from a Jehovah's Witness background. I was two years old when they came knocking on my family's door. Um, according to my parents, it was just more of like, well, they figured it was going to give us some structure in raising uh, me and my brother. So I'm one of three kids, by the way, the oldest. Um, and it just kind of, it kind of just went from there. My, my dad's a talker, so, and they like to talk as well. So that was kind of like a little match made there. And it just kind of, I guess they hit it off because we've been, I was attending uh, the Jehovah's Witness group since, oh my gosh, I think we stopped attending when I was about 12 years old. But anyway, I'll get to that in a bit. So I'm two years old. I'm being raised in it. So that's all I ever knew. Growing up, to me, it was everything we did was completely normal. I didn't think anything weird about it. Like, for example, when I remember going to kindergarten, they're not political at all. They stay out of politi po politics as much as possible. So I was not allowed to say the Pledge of Allegiance in school because it was, it was political. We weren't allowed. So I would I'd stand up with everybody, but that was it. I'd stay silent. I remember, and I was just remembering this too. I remember I was getting ready to come here. I look, I turn over to my husband Johnny, and I go, "Hey, I just remembered one time I'm there. I'm not saying yet. I decided I'm gonna sit down. What's the point?" But my teacher looking over at me, saying, "Look, I understand you can't say it, but you're gonna stand up for the flag, okay?" And so I just did it, and that was in kindergarten. Um, it's kind of funny though that you know they're not. We can't couldn't say the Pledge of Allegiance. Yet, for some reason, the organization high up, the Watchtower Society, they run the Jehovah's Witnesses group, and they actually have ties with the UN. I don't understand what that is just yet. I haven't done that far of a deep dive, but there's some type of disconnect or connect, whatever it is there. Um, let me see. What are some other things I could tell you about it? Um, they definitely believe in, uh, what is it? I forget if it, I, I'm going to get this backwards. Faith by works. Your works are, are your faith. That's why you see them going door to door, um, door knocking every weekend, um, standing on the corners with, you know, their little stand with their watchtower and awake magazines on there um, because they get by doing that to get their, um, gaining more people into their, into their, their kingdom, their truth. You'll always hear it from them that, like, how long have you been in the truth? Well, they call that what their belief system is, the truth. Um, so it's all definitely faith by works, not works by faith. Is that, am I saying that right? Yeah? Okay. I couldn't remember exactly what that is. But, yeah, so there, there's that. Um, and you're trained as a young age, as, like, as soon as you can, they can get you there, it's, automatically changing your mindset of what your truth now is or what it was and they completely flop it it's not necessarily a 
brainwashing system. I really don't know because, like I said, I was two years old. I didn't really have a chance there. Um, but... That one was interesting. <laughs> so, you know, I'm growing up. I'm in this, growing up in this perfect, what I thought was Christian bubble, because they will call themselves Christian, Christian Jehovah's Witnesses, but they're really not. They, um, they, it is, in fact, a cult. They're very, they're very, oh, my gosh, like by the book, if you really dig into it, a flat-out cult. Um, but 12 years old, so I don't know what it was necessarily that my dad did, but he did something that upset the um the elders within our kingdom hall because they don't call it church it's called the kingdom hall um i never knew what exactly that was but he became disfellowshipped and he was one of the elders there as well but even though he did wrong the rest of my family was ignored we needed to keep attending in order to be accepted back but it was up to them when they decided we would be accepted back we could walk right past them i me as a little kid i could walk right up to them talking to them they went and talked to me, and even though I did nothing wrong, it was my father. Um, it was it was really sad because these people I grew up with as, as my family, because of something that I didn't do, someone else did. I was punished for that, you know. And we had to keep attending to get back in, but it wasn't enough. So. Eventually, my family stopped going. You know, we're sick of being ignored. Me and my brother, we never did anything either to deserve that either, so we stopped attending. We would still attend the yearly memorial service, which is the same time as the Passover. Um, oh, gosh, that's a whole other instance right there, though. Um, but as far as me getting saved, it was several years later in my life. That was I was at 12 years old. Fast forward to me being 18 years old. At that point, my family fell apart. My parents were going through a very ugly, nasty divorce. I was spiraling out of control because I was rebelling and being fresh out of high school. I'm going through my first major breakup ever in my life. I was, my whole world did a complete 180. And I remember laying in bed one night and just, I'm, I'm sobbing, I'm crying, I'm staring at my phone because I was, just feeling completely alone and I'm staring at my phone like why aren't anybody answering me and I start praying I'm like okay you're raised Jehovah's Witness you have God <laughs> pray and I'm there praying and I'm getting nothing back nothing but pure silence now that's not saying when you pray now and you hear silence it doesn't necessarily mean you're God's not there he's always there we know that now I know that now he's always there but it was that moment in my life where I knew something needed to change that the God that I knew wasn't the real God. And I was just, oh my gosh, it was it was gut-wrenching. It was horrible. Um, so whatever, I tried to go back. Same thing though, completely different city, congregation, everything. And still nothing was, um, we're still being ignored, which is funny because my name was actually never entered into their their database because I was, I was never baptized as Jehovah's Witness. Um, they write everything down, by the way. Um, but nothing was happening there. I, same thing, still being ignored. So I stopped attending. I need, But I knew I needed something. I knew I needed God. I just didn't know how or in what belief system. 
So <laughs> gonna sound funny, but Johnny came along. I started dating him. He's telling me he's that he was raised Christian, Pentecostal specifically. So I'm like, okay, I'm gonna try this out. And he takes me to church. I, you know, I, I move in with him. I'm like, Johnny, I want to try out church. And he's like, okay. He looked up. He found a church out in um, Fontana where we were attending for a living. And immediately, I actually kind of like here, I dove into ministry. I got baptized shortly after, and there was such a change. And it was it was like night and day. So welcoming, and I can talk about any wrong in my life, and I wasn't being pitied. You know, I, I couldn't feel anyone feeling sorry for me. It was just nothing but love until later when I would then start learning, like, fully more about repentance and all of that. But even then, I could confess all of my sins and know that I was good with Jesus and Jesus was good with me. And actually, during that time, too, was when I felt my first uh, physical healing. I remember laying in bed. I'm laying in bed in pain from, uh, I think it's called gastroendolitis or something like that. I forget how to pronounce it. It's a big old word. But it was right here in the pit of my of my chest right here and um, or my abdomen, whatever that's called. And I remember I'm there, I'm praying, I'm in pain. And I remember feeling something go in, twist and pull out. And I knew that was God. And I remember just crying in bed next to, next to Johnny, just so happy and relieved because for me that was my confirmation that God was real or the the Jesus that I was now learning about is real because as a Jehovah's Witness Jesus isn't the son of God they believe he's Michael the archangel and that um they don't even believe in the resurrection as we know it they believe that the resurrection is his body just disintegrated in the tomb and he was resurrected spiritually not physically and it's just there's there's so many different things like that in there, but it's funny because like even their own Bible, the New Living, I, I forget what it's called, New World Translation. Thank you, that's what it was. <laughs> you can prove to them in their own scriptures that it does say that He is the Son of God, but they're not going to tell you that though because they're not taught that. They're not taught to read their Bible. They're taught to read the watchtower and they study their watchtower magazine as if it is the bible so they have it but they don't know it which is also why if and whenever i did the online teachings i always stress read your bible because if it wasn't for um, oh, this phrase that johnny told me um sola scriptura a scripture alone without the word of god you're not going to know what the real truth is you're not going to know who jesus is and how to hear his voice, like Pastor Rob was teaching all this last Sunday, the inaudible voice. You're not going to know unless you're in the word. And if it wasn't for his word in the Bible, I don't, I don't know where I'd be, honestly. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which shocked me when that happened, when I got that phone call. <laughs> so I'm very thankful to have that opportunity. Um yeah, thank you, Johnny, for taking me to church. Got it. I got it. I'm not 
going to be in too much of a hurry because Reggie's agreed to give him five minutes of his time. So <laughs> he's very generous. <laughs> uh, my name is Gail. And um, first off, I want to say that because I've been asked a lot of strange questions about that um, in the past, like, was I transgender or drag queen or something and, and didn't change my name back. But really, it's an inherited name from my father, something that is uh, I take with pride in my family. So um, it wasn't any of those things. Um, I was born in 1963 into a Christian home. Um, my parents were um, Assembly of God, Pentecostal, speaking in tongues, all those kind of things um, growing up. Uh, it was not really uncommon for my father's sisters to all come. There was a lot of them, and they were intercessors. And so I learned from a very young age about prophetic and um, just all the things, uh, the gifts of the Spirit, and I watched them operate in our home. A lot of them were pastors uh, themselves, had Christian schools like this. So generation after generation, we had pastors and things uh, in our family. Um, my father, though, was a very um, abusive man, very hateful, um, never kind to us. The fact that my recollection of him is the only time he ever spoke to me as if I wasn't doing something right. Um, so it was a very toxic environment. Um, I grew up, I have three brothers and because I'm the next to the oldest, I'm the second, it was always, my father was always like, you know, I'm going to take the boys to go do this, but you stay home and help your mother with the other kids. So I always said it's a miracle I didn't suffer from transgenderism, you know, because that signal always was that I was a daughter, not a son. Um, and that's kind of interesting today because I actually, with all three of my brothers, I can do more manly things than they can, so it's just kind of funny. <laughs> so um, that was hard. And then there was uh, sexual abuse, um, verbal abuse. You're stupid. You're worthless. You'll never mount to anything. Um, that went on well up into my 30s. Um, instead of physical abuse, it was more verbal abuse. Um, but always to bring you down, it's about control. You know, they were very fundamentalist. Uh, religious environment was what I was in. So, um, when I began to have same-sex attraction, I think I was in seventh grade. Up till then, I was always chasing the girls. Um, I didn't know what happened all of a sudden that this was like a switch got flipped. And um, I felt disgusted with myself. I uh, spent a great majority of my life thinking I'm a bad, really bad person because I couldn't stop how I felt, what my thought process was. And people in um, churches, um, you can never go talk to them because they throw you out or afraid that somebody else is going to catch it from you. Um, came to my house. Uh, pastors have come to my house and told me my father molested me. I've had 
mockeries of my marriage. I mean, I've been through everything. And it, the, the bad part is, is the world <laughs> treats you so well in the world. I was respected. Um, I was a very successful hairstylist. Um, so I was not used to people being unaccepting, you know, and I stayed out of church for a lot of years because of that. Um, but through some circumstances with my oldest child, I met a woman in line at Juvenile Hall when I was visiting one night. And she gave me a card to the church here. And I was 38 years old. And the first Sunday I came to this church, I hadn't felt the presence of God in many years. Now, I want you guys to understand, like, I was filled with baptism of the Holy Spirit, spoke in tongues, prophesied, all those things. And I was still dealing with these feelings and feeling that I was a bad person because I felt this way when it wasn't something I asked for. See, the devil puts that on you. God doesn't. So you got to tell the devil to leave you alone. And sometimes it's an everyday moment-to-moment battle. I won't stand before you in line and say that I don't still deal with those feelings, but I have to submit them to God every day of my life. So when I was about 21, I met Kathy. Um, and we just struck up a friendship. We just loved to do things together and, and all that. And about four months into our friendship, um, we developed feelings for each other. She just thought I was a nice guy, and I thought she was a nice girl. <laughs> but I, I treasure those times because it was, those were interview times. You know, how do you feel about raising children? You know, do you love the Lord? Is it, these are things I want for my future. Um, so going back a little bit, there were some other things that happened to me too. When I was in high school, um, I was called a faggot probably a hundred times a day. Um, my name was made fun of constantly. Um, I was sexually assaulted by, um, football players who held me down in the locker room and the teachers did nothing about it. And then I went to my state board of cosmetology test, like fresh out of high school. And a man who was in charge was a big wig there. You had to ask for a key to get into the bathroom. And so I asked him for the key to the bathroom. And he came in behind and locked the door and he raped me. And because I grew up so abused, I just thought, well, listen, one more time. You know, I just have to keep my mouth shut. I can't tell anybody. Because in those days, they just said, you know, you're talking 81, 82. You're like, they would say, that's what you get. You're subhuman because of what you deal with. So nobody cares if you're sexually assaulted. And men are raped and stuff every day in that community by other men. They set them up for these things. And it, it's unbelievably tragic and heartbreaking to see what it does um, to you. So... My big decision that I was faced with in my life was I couldn't get past the scriptures that I was raised with. It was never preached to me in my parents' house. We hardly spoke about things like homosexuality or anything. Um, but I just remember those scriptures. So somebody read them in church or something like that when I was a kid, you know, and they were still there. And I never could get around it. And so I was praying a lot, and I'm like, Lord, you know, how do I do this? And basically what he left me with was a choice. 
Number one, you can give up what you desire and spend eternity with me in heaven. Or you can have the pleasures of this world and spend eternity in hell. It wasn't about my sexuality. It was about my eternity. And I chose God. And I laid it all down. And I remind me of myself of that every day. I choose God over anything. There is no pleasure in this world. No thing. No money. No nothing. That is worth an eternity with him. Ever. There are people who will love you and are there for you and will speak into your lives. And all of us, most people are touched by something in their family somewhere within those things. And um, that is my wife and I's passion. We travel and do that with young people who are coming out of it. Oh, sorry. We travel and do things with people who want to come out of that lifestyle and they're choosing Jesus. That's their choice. They're choosing Jesus, not to be straight, not to have feelings, but they're choosing God over everything. And God rewards that. And I want to end today in saying that a personal thank you to my spiritual father, Bob. Because when I came to this church, I told Bob was the first pastor I ever told and Bob never saw me as that. He only saw me as me. And Susan the same way. And that's something I'll be forever grateful for. So thank you both. Reg just said I can have his other five minutes. Good evening. My name is Jenica, and I'm the ex-Catholic. And so I want to start by saying that, you know, we went to church, my family, as long as I could remember. And I never considered myself, looking back, I don't consider myself that I wasn't saved because I feel that I was. You know, I, I believed in the gospel. I believe, you know, we were taught that Jesus came and he died for us and rose again and is seated at the right hand of the Father. I knew that and I believe that in my heart. And it's kind of hard not to know it because um, I don't know if you've ever been to a Catholic service, but you recite these things, the same things over and over and over, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. You know, it's, it's very ritualistic. You sit down, stand up, kneel down, pray these things. Um, so I do remember going to church. Um, you know, since I grew up in South Almonte, which is L.A. County. So I remember going to church and doing my first communion, you know, going to church and, um, you know, learning about Jesus and, you know, everything that he did for you. And um, in Catholicism, there's certain sacraments that you have to complete. Um, I don't know how many there are now, but it's like your first communion, um, your first... Um, confession, confirmation, such and such. And I remember I was maybe eight or nine years old going to the Catholic church and going to classes to do my first communion. And they gave us a little wafer, you know, to practice, like the kind we get in the little cup. And I remember putting it in my mouth. I was like, 
<laughs> so I went to the water fountain and spit it out because it was so gross. <laughs> but then, um, so that's as much as I remember from my early childhood. But then when we moved to Moreno Valley, my family moved to Moreno Valley in 1991. And I do remember going to St. Christopher's Catholic Church, you know, growing up the rest of my years there. Um, my family was involved in the church. Um, I was a, after I completed my sacraments and graduated high school, I was a religious uh, education teacher, so the CCD teacher. Um, my brothers were in youth groups. Like, we would do stuff all the time with the church. You know, we were really involved in I started questioning when I was teaching the religious education because you, I'm teaching kids, so I was teaching maybe six or seven year olds, and you know you teach about the Virgin Mary and praying to her and praying to the different saints, and I questioned that like why why do we have to do that if they didn't come, you know, and died for us, and so you know that kind of sparked my interest in different things and. Um, like I said, we went to church every Sunday, and they offer communion every single Sunday. You go up, the Father or the Eucharistic ministers, you know, they have the, the body and the blood. And my parents would never go up. And I wondered, they're married. Why can't they go and receive the body and blood of Christ? Well, it wasn't until I was older that I found out that because they weren't married in the Catholic Church, like their marriage wasn't considered valid. So they weren't worthy enough to receive, you know, communion, which sucks because that's just a rule that a man set, right? Jesus didn't set that for us. But, yeah, that kind of ticked me off a little bit. Um, oh, going back to praying to the Virgin Mary one time when I was already older, my mom had lost her wedding ring. And she told me, Jen, help me look for my ring. Pray to the Virgin that we find it. And I would to myself like why her <laughs> you know so like God was putting these things in my heart since a young age so but and then another a sacrament is confession so you know Mexicans we have these big parties when you turn 15 you have a quinceañera and so I was preparing for my quinceañera so I had to um, do all these sacraments right okay so you have to have confirmation. And usually that's done when you're a young adult and you know what you're confirming, confirming that, you know, you're accepting the religion or I don't know what it is. But I had done that in TJ when I was a baby. So I didn't need to do that as a grown-up, but I didn't understand what it was. And so, like, here I am, okay, I have to go to confession because my mass for my quinceañera is this week. And I remember going to confession and, you know, I confess my sins to the priest and he tells me, is there anything else? And I was like, no. And, you know, he kept kind of digging. It made me feel uncomfortable. But all that to say that, you know, all these sacraments that you have to do, and they're rushing you to do it because you have a quinceañera that you're going to attend that weekend, right? But really there is no meaning as to why I had to confess, why I had to be approved to take my first Holy Communion, you know? And it's like, it's just not meaningful, the things that they have you do there. Um, another thing is um, I was never encouraged to read my Bible in the church, right? The priest is the one that has the Bible, and he's sitting, you know, to the congregation. He's the only one that's reading it. You have in your seats a book of, of readings, you know, that they recycle through. So you actually don't even have a Bible. 
And so I remember one time my neighbor, she was a one of those Jesus freaks. <laughs> she kept coming to the house. I'm a Jesus freak now, too. So, hey, um, she kept coming to our house and inviting my mom and us to go to church with her. And she would invite us to a Bible study. And I would tell her, OK, Tina, I'll go, I'll go. And so one day I just went and I said, OK, but I have to take my Bible, a Bible that was sitting in my home that I have never opened and never read. But I was adamant about taking my Bible because I wanted to make sure that, you know, it was the same thing. And so I went to that Bible study. Did I open that Bible? I sure didn't. I sure did not open that Bible, but it was very important for me to take it, right? And so, um, and that neighbor, Tina, that Jesus freak, she's the one that, you know, why I'm here today in a, Catholic, in, in a Christian church. She invited me to um, to Harvest, and that's where I gave my life to Christ when she invited me to Harvest. And she goes, Jennifer, I'll pick you up. I'll take you with me. And I said, okay. And so I, I went to Harvest with her, and I liked it. And I said, okay, God, you know, if this is real, like when I come next Sunday, because I don't know if you guys have ever been to Harvest, it's huge. And so, okay, I said, if you want me to come here, then you need to find me a parking spot that's close to the church. And you need to find me a seat in the sanctuary because I do not want to be in an overflow room because my attention span is just not to be watching a screen. Well, sure enough, I found a parking spot and I found a seat in the sanctuary and I went there for like eight years before we moved out of the area. So thank you to thank you to Tina, my crazy Jesus freak neighbor. Um, but yeah, so that is. No, I still want to talk about something else. So I lost my mom 11 years ago, and I was already a Christian. And um, she she died at 52. I was only like 29 or 30, but she was very young. And, you know, I don't know if any of you have ever lost a parent, but it's hard. You know, I didn't get married till I was 29, so I was at home for that whole time, and my mom was my best friend. And so... Yes, I grieved and I was sad when she died, but I had such peace that and such comfort in God knowing that, you know, I knew she's I know she's in heaven, you know, but and then I also went through cancer and guess what? I had peace through that whole cancer situation. And I would not have that peace had I not have the relationship that I have with the Lord now. And I'm, that's something I'm very proud of, and I'm not ashamed. Thank you. First of all, I want to say that this was a setup putting me up here <laughs> and giving me a time limit. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um. First of all, I, I want to thank you guys for putting this together, and I thank you guys for coming out, and I thank all you brave souls for sharing your testimony. Um, if you don't know, I'm the I'm the black ex-Muslim guy. You know what I'm saying? Uh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, you know, I, I've been trying to think what I was going to really say and what I was going to talk about. But let's start in the beginning. You know, I, I was the firstborn of four to to my mother and father. Uh, you know, I was actually at their wedding as a baby, and you know, it was this is back in the in the uh, 
in the 70s, you know, my mom, she was there and she had an afro about the size of, you know what I'm saying? It was it was, it was a crazy event. And my dad was an all-star uh, football player uh, in Los Angeles and had got recruited to the University of Oregon to play football. And I, I was there through that whole time. He ended up getting drafted into the Canadian League, you know, and we, uh, we, we, we moved to Canada, uh, me and my brother, and my other two, bro my brother and my sister were born there in Canada, you know. Um, after he played there for five years and, you know, had a had a great a great uh, showing out there, he got drafted to his home team in the NFL in New Orleans. So he played for the New Orleans Saints for, for four years. And we moved there. And, um, I, you know, the first 10 years, 19 years of my life was – it was like a storybook, you know what I'm saying? My mom and dad loved each other. Uh, it, it, it was great, you know. Uh, pops, uh, I was in Boy Scouts, all kinds of just, you know, it was like a movie type situation. Um, I remember my mom telling me later on, years later, that she knew when they moved to New Orleans, once she got to New Orleans, just the, the, the feeling that was there, she knew that that was going to be the end of their marriage. And so... Uh, they ended up separating there in, uh, uh, I think I was like 11 years old. And we, uh, my dad stayed out there and we ended up moving out here to Paris. And we went from pops making a whole bunch of money to being on welfare and all this other kind of stuff. But my mom and my aunts and my grandmother, they came together like Voltron and raised 11 of us, including my brothers and sisters. And did my brothers, my sisters, my cousins did a, did an amazing job. So, um, um, I, my teenage years were in the eighties and, you know, for anyone that back in that day, I, I was really into, I thought I was going to be the next rapper, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, and I listened to a lot of rap and back then it was a lot of black conscious rap, like, you know what I'm saying? Fight the power type stuff, you know what I'm saying? And I, started getting that seed planted. I remember when I was in the 11th grade, I read a book called How to Eat to Live by Elijah Muhammad. Uh, and it was just, it was, it was a, it was a lot of things that I was just identifying to, you know, and, um, uh, back then, you know, in the eighties, it was this whole thing in Africa about apartheid and, you know what I'm saying? Nelson Mandela and all these different things. And I was going to church, I was going to school with, with my clothes. I used to draw my clothes and it was like fight the power and the free, free Africa, all these different type of things. So, um, but that was kind of the, like the rest of my high school, high school was, you know, I was so scared of my mom and my aunts that I really didn't get in trouble in high school. Um, once I graduated from high school, uh, I got caught up with these, with some, some gangbangers who were doing a lot of illegal things and ended up getting in trouble uh, with the feds. And because I was known to be with them, even though I didn't have any kind of criminal uh, record, they weren't looking for me, I left, the, I left California and I ended up traveling the, the country for four and a half years selling books and magazines door to door. And it was probably one of the most... Uh, greatest experiences I, you know, just going to different, you know, different cities and knocking on doors and talking to people and everything. I learned a lot. But um, when I came, I came back uh, within, I think I had been out there for like two and a half years and I came back and I, I came and stayed with my mom. And now my mom was with her second husband and he was a Muslim. And um, me and my mom ended up getting into an argument one night and I, I, 
I remember this this night, and um, she kicked me out of the house. And now we lived in Mead Valley in Paris. If you know, in like on one of the probably the biggest country hills out there, and like I, she she kicked me out the house and told me that I had to leave, and. I didn't really have nowhere to go, so I just hung out in the front yard. But her husband came outside. His name was Rodney. He came outside, and he was talking to me. And he started talking to me about the Quran. He started talking to me about Allah and all these different things. And as he was talking to me, every, I just remember this night, everything that he was saying, I would kind of, like, calm down a little bit. And every time I calmed down, it would, I, I'm not lying to you, there was a shooting star that would pew, fly across the midnight sky. And... It happened three times. And I finally I looked at him. I'm like, man, did you? And he was like, yeah, that's another demon being cast out of heaven or something like that. So I just remember that. So I ended up going back to selling books and magazines. And when I got there, there were these two brothers that was in the program, in the uh, company. And they happened to be two uh, Muslims from, from uh, Philadelphia. So to make a long story short, that's when I started reading the uh, reading the Quran, started getting into that. And um and, and, and it was more out of anger, you know what I'm saying? Because one thing I can tell you about Islam, you'll never find in the Quran where, where God says he loves you. You'll never find that. You'll never find him saying that how much he loves you or how much he's gave for you or how much he cares about you. It's all about how much love and how much, and it's definitely a work-based situation, but it's a lot of anger and, and pride in, in, involved in that situation. So um, I came back to California and when I came back, I'm the type of person that if I'm like rap music, if I'm listening to certain rap music, I'm not just going to listen to it. I'm going to do the things that's involved in it. So when I came back, I'm 24 now. Now I wanted to get into the street life. And once I did that and I got, I got my little crew and, we, you know, what I'm saying we started doing we were living in Marina Valley right around 91. So, you know, what I'm saying? it's crazy. Um, but uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, it was like 94, 95. But um. I, I ended up getting into a lot of crazy stuff. You know what I'm saying? Um, I, that's when I started my drug life. You know what I'm saying? I remember uh, doing my first time doing cocaine, and it, I had a 10-year love affair with cocaine, and it, it got to the point to where the day that I quit, um, what it happened was I was living in Riverside, and I went from Riverside to L.A. three times in one day just to go get me some more coke. And then when I got back with my nose burning and everything, and I looked around and all the people that I had got high with and I had paid to, you know what I'm saying, they were gone. And I start, and I looked, and it was a, for the first time I had spent, because I was already uh, with, my, with my, she wasn't my wife then, but with my wife Karen uh, at that time. And I had for the first time spent rent money and all kinds of stuff. And that day I quit cold turkey. And eight months later I started doing speed. And to make a long story short about my drug life and all that type of stuff, it went from me never, I say I was never ashamed about my drugs. Like I was the type of person that I paid for my own stuff. I didn't ask, I didn't rob, I didn't steal, I didn't do any of that. So it, you, I didn't care about what you thought. I went to school out here at Marinello. I was there getting high in their bathrooms. I, 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 I did drugs and I had this attitude like it didn't matter what you thought about me because I was in control. And um, uh, I remember uh, my dad passed in 2009 and the relationship with him was very, I, I remember him one time telling me that I was gonna end up just like him. 
And when he told me that, it, it made me mad. But as I was growing and living my life, I started find, realizing that I was mimicking a lot of the things that he had did. So let's fast forward through all of that and let's get to my salvation moment. I, um, one minute. Wow. See what I'm saying? Like, that's crazy. Now, yeah, can I get my five back? I want my five. Let me get my five back. Okay, but no, um, I'm gonna tell you guys some of the things that have happened to me. I've been high in this church. You know what I'm saying? Like this is before, like in 2009, I brought a bunch of guys from because I used to live right down the street. I brought a bunch of the young men in the count uh, in in the uh, in the neighborhood, and we came. And I was high as all outside, sitting out there. But I can still remember Pastor Bob's sermon and it, it, what he talked about, and it, it, it rang with me that back then because my wife picked out this church uh, to come to. I say all that to say this: in 2016, I went to jail because I had been living homeless out there on the railroad tracks, right here, right behind the court building in Hemet. And I didn't have to. I would, my, my family was down the street, but I chose. That's how far I had went into this 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 drug stupor to where I thought I was the sexiest things on the railroad tracks in Hemet, California. You know what I'm saying? And the crazy thing about it was, I, 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 as I look back now, I see that I was this close to disappearing, period. You know what I'm saying? So... The day before the day of the day before Thanksgiving in 2016, uh, I usually cook dinner uh, Thanksgiving dinner with my family. So I was at home. I was on my way to go back to the house to cook, and I ended up going to jail. And to make a long story short, I got I got in jail, and I remember the day where God, the first time I really heard God's audible voice. I was at I was in jail, and I was telling my wife. Um, I was telling her, like, yeah, I think I'm going to get out because I ain't really do nothing in this. And she she, she was like, basically, no, nah, I don't think you're going to get out. I think they're, they're tired of playing with you. And so I, I ended up asking. I'm like, I'm like, wait a minute. What's, what you don't want me to come home? It's like I had been at home, but I hadn't. So I like, and she was like, no. Nah. And, I, and I heard something in her voice. So I asked her, I was like, what's the matter? You don't love me anymore? And she, she on that phone, she told me that it's not that I don't love you. It's like I don't know if I'm in love with you. And when she told me that, that. So I did only, the only thing that a, rep, uh, a respectful man could do. I cussed her out and I hung up the phone. And I went to my bunk. I went, <laughs> I went to my bunk and I started crying like a baby. And right then, I was crying for about 15, 20 seconds. And I heard the Lord say, look at you. I wouldn't be in love with you either. I, I'm, not, I'm not playing. I, I swear this is what I heard. And when I heard that, it just, something in me just shifted and I, I stopped crying and I got back on that phone and I called her and I told her like when I get out of here I'm gonna you're gonna be I'm gonna be the man that you fell in love with. Fast forward seven years later, here I am now. One thing, one thing that I you know just to to, to kind of tie this up is that when you guys hear me up here, like I've been through things. I've been kidnapped duct taped in the bathroom, uh, in the bathtub, and uh, hearing these guys talking about they were going to kill me. I've been through a lot of different things in my life. You know what I'm saying? Like, you guys got the very abridged version. You know what I'm saying? But what I'm trying to say is this. Once you have that radical moment with God, when you realize who Jesus is, and you realize how much you don't deserve what he has given you, that's what I'm up here talking. That's what I'm up here screaming about. 
I remember, I, I, I know when God cut the lights on inside of who I was and I seen the total chaos and darkness that I was truly in. And for me to be not there and for me to be a part of this beautiful fellowship and to have the trust of my pastors, Pastor Steve, Pastor uh, Bob, Pastor Susan, Pastor Suzanne, and, 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 and Frank, because is, is that Frank back there? That's Frank back there, because I didn't like him at first. But uh, to, to have that, <laughs> but to have that trust and that love and to see what God has given me, I, there's nothing in the world that would ever make me turn back. So I just want to thank you. Thank you. Okay. Now, this is a chance for you to ask questions. Now, remember, this is a question and answer time, so don't go sermon on us. It's time for questions. So if you have any questions you want to ask of them as individuals or us, there you go. That's what Ed Tonight is about. Anybody have any questions? Going once. Don't don't be come on. No, you, you have to come to the microphone. Don't be scared. When the Jehovah Witness come to your door, what should I say to them? Be gone. <laughs> um, because it's like every weekend they're at our door. If not every weekend, it's come? every other. And I don't know what to say to them. I, all I do is I tell them I go to church already, but I don't know what to say to them. So that's one of the things with them. When they go door to door, they're going to write down your address of whose door they knocked on, and they're going to mark down whether someone answered or not. Really? Yeah, they're going to mark it down so they can return again or they not return. They keep coming back. Well, you, Pastor Susan got herself blacklisted. <laughs> <laughs> they don't come to their house anymore. They'll actually, they'll actually put a mark on your curb. Because she, she was preaching the gospel to them. Yeah. yeah. Here's the thing. Get online and study a little bit because you can use their Bible and, and minister to them. And specifically, if you go to Revelation 1, it starts saying it's a red letter in their Bible. It's wonderful. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I know Alexis said they hardly ever use it, but they only know certain scriptures. And so God can use your Bible. And it says, you know, I am almighty God. I'm, I'm blah, blah, blah. It goes all the way. Through. You keep saying, who is this? Go, oh, Jehovah, Jehovah. And then finally it says, I am he that was, liveth, was live, I lived and was dead. And you go, who is that? Chapter one, and they go, wait. I mean, they're all frustrated. I go, you kept telling me it was Jehovah God. It never, the tense never changes. They just don't want to admit that Jesus was actually God in the flesh. John John one one. So if you do a little bit of homework and then get their Bible out and use it, it's fun. To, they won't come. I open the door. <laughs> I turn the TV on. They walk all the way up my street and all the way back. I go, Bob, did you talk to him? She's kind of like. Come, yes. the spider yeah. to the <laughs> and, and usually they end up going, oh, look, it's getting late. We have to leave. And they always leave while we're having just such a fun time. Okay. Yeah. yeah okay, thank you. They're, the few scriptures they know are the ones that they're already trained to, ha to counter you with. 
they have very specific things that they're taught to use specifically for countering arguments, but guaranteed they're not going to know the rest of their Bible. They, they don't know the word. And usually one of them is a trainee. Yes. Being trained. Yeah, there's several of them. Yeah. yeah. One, one is leading, the other one is training the other. Yeah. So oh, I see little kids, little. And they're training them the from that point because I did that too. And I did my share of door knocking and thinking I'm sharing with them or give, leaving them with a tract. Um, but they'll keep coming there's back. There's times I don't answer the door and I feel them. very rude. I, I, but I don't know what to say to them. <laughs> no, don't don't be rude. Listen, you just know a couple little things, like Alexis said, because they'll usually come and say, "Aren't you scared?" This is so such a fearful world, and I go, "No, I'm having a great time. I've got the joy of the Lord." You just <laughs> have to kind of, and they think they're they think they am I right, Alexis? They think they probably have a toehold with you, so they'll keep coming back. Get yeah. online and look up look up what they believe and go read Revelation one and stick to that. Okay, okay, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Nobody has any questions? You guys came out here for, come on, thank thank you. Uh oh, one of your elders. Come on, Larry. You got a good one, too. Uh, Reggie, I think you're quite a theologian. <laughs> well, I do. Well, thank do you. You, that, do you that. have any uh, pastors in your family? Oh, uh, and. So it's funny that you said I was just thinking about this. That's one thing that I, I remember uh, Christmas, I want to say 2001. My brother, my, my, my two brothers, they're both pastors. One is a, a pretty accomplished gospel artist. And my other brother, he's a pastor of two churches, uh, the lead pastor, and was a vice pre president of a, a very large Southern Baptist uh, uh, church planning organization that he, he basically uh, recently retired from. But I remember one Christmas sitting up there. This is when I was uh, calling myself a Muslim because I sat up and argued with them one time for uh, all Christmas Eve from like 8 at night to like 5 in the morning about Jesus and how Jesus like. And, and I, wanna, I wanted to read this verse real quick because. A time limit was on the. No, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. Hey, okay, do do no. this one so they can go to the questions. Okay, no, um, it's a uh, First Corinthians one eighteen and twenty eighteen nineteen and twenty. It says the message of the cross is foolish to those who, who are headed for destruction, but we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. As the Scripture says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And dis discard the intelligence of the intelligent. And I say that because I remember saying things to my brothers like, well, if Jesus was on the cross and when he was talking to, uh, when he was like, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Who was he talking to if he's God already? And, and now I remember saying these things and like almost doing a tap dance like, aha, now what you going to say? And really thinking that I knew what I was talking about. And now being brought to the light and understanding what was really going on at that time, I, I look back at that foolishness and it's like, it's crazy how you can be caught up and really be in a place of arrogance and think that you really are knowing what you're talking about, but you're not, you know what I'm saying? And, and that's by the, 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 the witness of the Holy Spirit. But thank you 
Thank you for calling me a theologian like that. But yes, I do have pastors in my family. So. Susan. Okay. Oh, There's one oh, right there. I'll do this quick. Okay, hey, Gail, would you just kind of address real quickly um, how prevalent it is with people, families and churches dealing with family members who are trans or gay? Um, yeah. Uh, there are more. Every family, like I said earlier, has been touched in some way or know somebody um, in their family. And I what is the percentage, dear, that were Christians? Their church, yeah, it's like 86% were raised, yes, in church. Um, it is, it's very, very prevalent. But one of the things we're trying to fight right now is that um, – I've been asked things like, well, how long do you let somebody sit there before they change or can they influence other people? And I'm like, I want to say, well, you're religious. They let you sit there forever. But, of course, I can't say that. But it's the loving part of that. We need the church needs to love and and they're human beings. They have so much hurt in their lives um, from things that have happened to them. that's what they're looking for is a home. Like when I came here, like I said, with my pastors, that was a home. Because I thought if my pastors are willing to love me and let me play music and be involved in this church, that speaks volumes to you. It's not saying that you, it's okay for you to commit that sin and serve in ministry because you shouldn't do that. Nobody should do that. But, you know, the important thing I think in church is to remember that We've all sinned to come short of the glory of God. If some of our sins show more than other people, <laughs> so we can point them out. But, you know, usually if you tell someone else, are you willing to lay what you're ashamed of down? That because we all have something. It's just we have to remember we don't walk in shame because Jesus took that on the cross. But it is a very large majority um, that we're dealing with and now with the transgender of kids there are uh, we just came back from a conference i thought i couldn't be shocked uh of what's really going on with children these days but it is much worse than what anybody out there in normal society if you want to call it that realizes what is happening they are castrating young boys why doctors sell time slots for them to for these perverts to watch this happening this is what they're doing to our children it's so heartbreaking because the enemy his big desire is to kill us out because we're in the image of god you all know that and so if he can keep you from having children he can prevent the next pastor bob or you know somebody who's going to affect the kingdom of heaven that that is his job is to kill us out so if he, if he can castrate them, make them where they can't have children and believe all these things, then um, and they're never going to step into a church because people won't love them. It's like you need to just hug them and act like they're any other person. You may not approve of their what they're doing, but love and approval are two different things. We love our children, but we don't always approve of what they do. God's the same way with us. Love right. God, love people, hate sin. But that's another thing, too, when you say that a lot of people will say love the sinner, hate the sin. That actually is offensive to 
a person out of homosexuality because they believe that's who they are. So now you're saying, I'm evil. And they take that personal. So it's better not to add that. It's just like, you know, don't be mad at me. The Bible says this, and I just follow the Bible. That's why people, and God says I can't do this if I want to go to heaven. Yeah. So in this chaotic, hectic, scary, everything bad world that we live in, and having the values and everything that we have as Christians and the things that we believe in wholeheartedly and are willing to lay our lives down for, but yet we still go out there and we walk the downtown streets of Hemet. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> what would each of you recommend if you had to pick one thing that we could use or we could equip ourselves in our tool belts, if you will, to help us fight that, that evil lie, deception that the enemy places on us every day? And you, get, you, can't, you can't answer the same things. So it has to be four different answers. Okay. <laughs> She's first. Red, you can't go first, bro. You're last, man. You're a theologian, remember? <laughs> wow. So you're asking, being out, being out and about, how do I, or how would you equip yourself to protect against the Jehovah's Witness? <laughs> It sounds so basic, but the armor of God. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Fight it. <laughs> um, I kind of think like people, when they look at you, believe it or not, and I and I hear this a lot of times. Like people know uh, when they see you in public, they can see your light. They don't know what's different about you, but there is something about you that is different. And um, I've had I've had people say, I, you know, there's something different about you when you walk in the room. And I'm like, well, yeah, you know, just ask my wife about that. But, um, <laughs> but I think, you know, the the biggest thing to protect our children and protect ourselves is knowing you're a spiritual authority and knowing. Um, <laughs> these these are all the things I've learned under them over 23 years. Um, is how to take authority. Uh, generational things over your children when they are young and underage, how to pray for these things. My children get mad at me because when they start dating somebody, I just say, God, if it's not of you, let it wither and die. And then they come to me and they say, you prayed that, didn't you? And I said, yes, I did, because that is my job to protect you. I'm never going to get married. And I'm like, well, unless it's the right person. You know, this is the thing, and the devil will attack your children. This world is coming for for your children. They march in the streets and chant it. So your biggest thing is knowing your spiritual authority and being able to protect your children within a spiritual environment, teach them how to take authority over that. They're not too young. My kids have known this since they were probably, what, (laughs) five years old because they grew up with us always talking about it. So have conversations with your kids a lot about spiritual things, like immerse them in those things. And that's where you can print it. We just need to protect one family at a time. If everybody will get the knowledge is power to protect your family, then it would all be a lot better. Jennifer. I would say that, like Dale kind of touched upon, um, love. Because 
like he said, you know, we all sin. It's different, different sins that we all. Uh, <laughs> I was like, what's going on? But, <laughs> but that's, I, I think that's important to me because all too many times you hear people say, well, I'm a Christian, but you don't treat people with God's love, you know? And that's what's important. I had somebody in my life always throwing scripture at me, but yet they weren't living as as Christ was, you know. And look, Jesus walked the streets with with the tax collectors, the lady with the bleeding issue, with prostitutes. I mean, goes on and on. And what did he do? Did he point his finger and yell at them and scold them for their sin? No, he loved them. And I think that's what's important that what's that's what sets us apart his love that's the first time i've ever seen reggie without words <laughs> um so revelations 12:11 we uh we overcame him by the blood of the lamb the word of our testimony, and that we did not love our lives so much that we were afraid to die. And that is steeped in God's love. You feel me? Our witness is the most important weapon we have. That, that, that is the most important weapon we have. And guess what? Even when, like Gail said, when they're not watching, they're watching. And what we, how we represent our God how we represent our master, how we represent what he's given to us and what he's done for us is how we win souls. Uh, it says, they will know you are mine by the way you love. So I, I really think that we as a, 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 the body need to really understand what God's love really looks like and how we can send that out to those around us. In, even when it's painful and it hurts and you don't want to, you know, I'm learning that right now by doing it with my family, not being the, as my, as my son says, or that guy, like always pop a bear, but being more loving and nurturing and understanding. And when they make a mistake that I might think is super boneheaded or whatever, I, I don't attack it like that. I attack it with the same way my God attacks, I mean, not attacks, but the same way my God convicts me and talks to me in a loving way and encouraging and forgiving and 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 and, and, and nurturing, you know. So love. We all are okay. boneheads. I'm gonna I'm gonna put a little PS on that and answer to your question. You know, we have cards in the foyer, and Alexis just put another whole bunch on my desk. I'm always handing them out. I always try to open a door when I talk to the grocer, you know, checking out. Like I'm going to church or I've been at church. They all know me down there because I, I let my witness. Sometimes you just have to kick the door open a little bit. And I always have these cards because you can invite somebody to church and they'll go, where's the church? But there's nothing like handing them a little card that has the address, the times, the phone number. Bob and I were up in, in uh, Santa Barbara. Stopped the girl with a big dog and started talking, started talking about church and where do you guys go? And I whipped out my little card and said, here, call if you ever need anything. But it's like, you know, just love and then follow up with that a little bit. 
because you want to, you know, I heard somebody say once, you know, well, we're just all seekers. Well, here's the thing. You can seek till you go to hell. If you never find what you're seeking, you'll never find God. So that's why we're here, to help them find what they're looking for. You know, I want to ask you, what is the, and raise your hand, don't just run out. What is the common denominator right here? What? Well, okay, yeah, change lives. But the common denominator between all of them is everything they've said relates to how they relate and love to people. Because everything we do as Christians is about acceptance. Even if a person's living in sin, it's still we still accept them. We don't shun them. We don't shun the gays. We don't shun, you know, the alcoholics, the drug addicts. You know, we don't shun people. That's why we've always tried to say, and you've heard me say before, people can come in the door, I don't care how you're dressed, so long as the important parts are covered. <laughs> That's mandatory. Um, and, and you know what? If, if they're drunk, if they're, unless they're disrupting something, it, you know, if they, you know, we have, we, we haven't had a transvestite here for quite a while, but um, they're welcome. Come in and sit down. Just don't disrupt things, you know. So I think the common denominator there is God's love is accepting people, right? Acceptance. Don't put people down. Can I, can I say one more yeah, thing about sure. witness? Um, one thing that I've noticed is that when we learn that life is going to be rough, life is going to have its challenges, life is, there's going to be illness. Like, I, I, there's some of y'all in here that would know, but many of y'all wouldn't know that within the last month, the mother of my grandson, who's been in my life for the last 10 years, she was brutally murdered about three weeks ago. And my wife's mother who raised her, her grandmother just passed away on Monday. And she, she lived with us. And I'm not saying that to, you know, on top of a whole bunch of other things that are going on in my life. And I'm not saying that to, you know, for sympathy or anything. I'm saying that you guys probably wouldn't know that unless I told you because I don't show that. Because I have the joy of the Lord in my heart. And I have what, what God calls is the future hope. Uh, that's my focus. I focus on the future hope. So as long as I stay focused on the future hope and the future glory, my witness is going to be all right. And my witness is going to do his job. Now, the second. Amen. Go ahead. The second common denominator is that every one of them do something in their church. They're all involved. Got the church secretary, worship team, connect group, and do what? No, I said she's not our group. Reggie says he has eight connect groups. How many? Eight connect groups. Eight? There's only seven days in a week. <laughs> Give me a break here. Okay. But and Reggie runs uh, recovery groups and is always involved in ministry. So everybody's everybody's doing something. Now the reason they have a, a testimony because they got saved, but it's now they 
they do something with it. So the question would be to the rest of us, what do we do in our church? How many people, not saying you, not saying you, but how many people come to church, get what they need, and go home, rather than come to church, find a place to get involved. If you don't find a place to get involved, you'll never get involved and you'll never grow like you could. And so the witness right here is you grow by serving. So get involved. Get involved in a connect group. Get involved in something. Go be involved, okay? As Pastor Bob always says, a successful Christian is when you can give out more than you can consume. When you can produce more than you can consume. Yes, then you know you're a successful Christian because you have so much in you. Just you got to find a place to let it out, whether it's at work or, or involved in a place in the church. Like it will bring joy to your life, definitely. I don't even call it serving because yeah. I, you know, I, I go to, I have a group five days of the week, six six days of the week, and. I go to those groups and I leave with more energy and more yeah. Yeah. than I do coming in to the groups. You know what I'm saying? It, it really replenishes and, and, and revives me. So I, it's, it's, it's a privilege and an honor to serve God's people and to do his work. Yeah. You know? What good's yeah. a testimony if you don't use it? Alexis. Oh, yeah, I was going to jump on with what Reggie said because, like, yeah, same thing. Yeah, I'm... I'm you know, I'm on staff, but it doesn't feel like it. I feel like I'm just coming in. I'm taking care of what needs to be taken care of for everybody else. And it's it's amazing to be able to do that and use the gifts that God has given me to do that. And even on Sundays coming in, you know, I'm taking care of um, two volunteer ministries. I'm like, even if I wasn't on staff, I'd still be coming in here doing that. I'd still be pouring my all into it. Because it's just, it's all for God. It's all to help grow his kingdom. And it does not feel like work. It's amazing. And just to let y'all know, she's more than a secretary. <laughs> like, she's some of the stuff that I hear she, she does, like, in, like making little, doing stuff. But, like, man, she does a lot of stuff. You would never believe it. I walk by her desk going, yeah, what are you like, doing wait, now? It, it's, it's not just answering the phone and making flyers. It, it's, it's crazy. So, yeah. If you see any arts and crafts on campus, <laughs> she did it, okay? Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, listen, do you have any other questions? Okay, then let's – oh, okay. Come on. Uh-oh. Here it is. Uh, she's loaded for bear. For all four of you, I would like to ask you, I feel like if – Somebody asked me to bake a cake for them, and I did not agree with their lifestyle. I would bake the cake. So you're asking them, do they bake? Would I bake the cake? Well, well I can. I, I can. Let me start this time. Let me go this way. Because my, my, my. <laughs> no, nah, I'm just saying. Because my answer is gonna be quick. My answer is gonna be quick. No, I you, bake you don't have you quick mean, answers. Well. We could have a sweet potato pie bake-off. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Look, man, pecan pie, any of that. Okay. But no, um, yes, I would. Yeah. Yes, I would. So did that, is that what you wanted to hear? Is that answering your question?
same-sex couple wedding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, yeah, yeah, that definitely, I would not go to a wedding and make covenant, even if it was a family member, right. but bake a cake, that's just the love of Christ. You're just selling them a cake. You're not saying that you agree with their lifestyle. A business is a business. You know, you can carry things too far. You just got to remember, you can get a little religious yeah. instead of using that opportunity to sow something into someone's life. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're just going to hurt the deeper by not doing something. Yeah, so um, my husband, Johnny, he's actually ordained to do weddings, and a friend of ours is um, Wiccan, and she asked, well, you know, he Wiccan offered to, to have her married, her marry her now husband. He still performed that, and he still did that. You know, I mean, he still included God in that marriage and everything, and we still pray over them continuously. If they have issues. They'll still come to us and ask for help. But we always refer them back to Jesus still. Yeah, that's good. Door open. Yeah, we left that door so open. So they feel comfortable to come to her because they know they're not going to get condemnation. They're going to get love. And it's not that she's accepting, but she's just, that soothes your spirit when you're hurting like that. And that just shows more love of Christ, yeah. you know. Okay. So now what, what we get out of this is you have a testimony. And your testimony is valuable. You say, well, I don't have a drug testimony. Well, oh, well Pastor drug Bob. testimony. What? Uh, Johnny had his hand up, too. Who? <laughs> no, yeah, I want to hear. Johnny. <laughs> yeah, I want to, yeah. Uh -huh, yeah, yeah. Johnny, you come on. You have a question, Johnny? <laughs> Get ready, Alexis. Here it comes. That's her husband. For Reggie, for Reggie actually. Um, did you say you also did the black Hebrew Israelites, or it was just Muslim? No, like yeah. serious. Yeah, both or just one? Both. Both. Weird. Yeah. So, because I want to know, I've been noticing that there's more of the black community that keeps going for those two things. How come they keep gravitating for, for those two things right there? Let me tell you something. Satan, Satan is a very worthy adversary and like a lot of things is going on like he will dress something up to look like it's good but it's very it's very poisonous so like the whole woke thing you know what i'm saying or he, he he'll he knows that we all want to be a part of something and we want to feel special he knows that fellowship is what we really want but he's going to pervert the true meaning of what God intended for us to do. And that's all of us to be sitting in here, not divided by color, age, uh, gender, or any of that. But just the fact that we are all created in the Imago Day of Jesus Christ, of, of our Lord and Savior. But so he, all that stuff, like, like I told you, I, I got into that, that Islamic thing because of, the nation of Islam and Farrakhan, Malcolm X and Elijah Muhammad and fight the power and all that. Martin Luther King was just a little bit too soft for me. You know what I'm saying? So I got into that. But now that I have been brought to the light by the Lord, I know that Martin Luther King was the strong one because he didn't fight back with hate or violence. He fought back with love. You know what I'm saying? And that love got other people involved that were 
probably at, at one point in time, like, nah, we gonna just, but he turned the other cheek. And as he turned the other cheek, he showed the savagery of, of everybody else. Mm -hmm. So that's what that is. Uh, everybody wants to be, be a part of something. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. You know, I wanna add something too. It's kind of off track. But um, there was a turning point in my life. I've never been prejudiced. I've never had a prejudice toward me. Uh, uh, color has made no difference to me. But Susan remembered several decades ago, I was in, I forget which state. Which state was uh, King, Dr. King, Alabama? It was in Alabama. And I was at the, no, where he was assassinated. And, and I was in there, I was doing a conference, and I had a chance to go to the Lorraine Hotel where he was assassinated. And I, they, matter of fact, if you go there, um, they still have the room that he was in. They put a large plate glass window. They still have the room in exactly the same way it was when he was assassinated. And I went and stood on the spot where he was assassinated, and I looked at the window where the shot was fired. And it was a turning point in my life. I was never prejudiced. I've never felt that way. But something rose up in me to say, I will fight prejudice openly and bluntly, and if necessary, do anything that I need to do to show that it's wrong and how evil, evil it is. Because the enemy uses color and race, when we start functioning together and it's no longer gender, it's no longer color, it's no longer race, we are one people and we will not be denied in any way, shape, or form. Pastor Bob, it was, it was Memphis, Memphis, Tennessee. Memphis, that's Memphis, right. Memphis, Tennessee. That's right, because I went to Elvis's house too. <laughs> <laughs> but but it, was a, it was a turning point. And so as we do this tonight and we share, when you go home, you go away, and you think about your testimony, evaluate where you have the opportunity to share your testimony and uh, let people know. You don't have to, and a lot of people think, well, you know, I didn't do anything crazy. Well, okay, if you didn't do anything crazy, then at least you were stupid, okay, and you didn't understand. But use your testimony and share it with people and remember that your testimony is important to him. Okay, you want to say any last thing? I appreciate you guys and your transparency very, very much. <clears throat> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the testimony that you, Jesus, left for us. You left a testimony. You gave your life, and we will never forget that. We will always champion that. But Lord, I pray a blessing on each one of these as they've given their testimony and shared from their heart and been very transparent. Now, send us into a world with our testimony. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. We love you and thank you.